It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell and it's Mixed Martial Arts Edition this week and we got a loaded show for you. UFC 242, the duel in the desert is on the horizon. We will break down all things Habib, Dustin Poirier. Can't wait for that one. And a new era in the Far East. Yes, Weili Zhang becomes a queen of the UFC with the knockout heard round the world. Going to get into that. Uh, Going to get into a five-star review. If you like what you hear on this show, please pay it forward. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume fine audio. I guarantee you'll be impressed, wow, by our performance. I'm not impressed by your performance. Hey, oh, hey, let me welcome in my co-host. You know him very well. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a former UFC light heavyweight champion and now both an earthquake and hurricane survivor. He's Sugar Rashad Evans. What's going on, man? What's going on? Good to be back in the studio. Yeah, great to hear your voice again. That's me bringing that heat. That's me bringing that heat. He always brings the heat. He always brings the mayhem with him. We've also got CBS Sports' own, the left tackle, the all-state, the towering inferno, the six-foot-five aspiring MMA fighter, editor, writer. It's Brandon Wise, baby. Wise man, how's it going? Doing good, BC. You know, as you mentioned before, we have survived the hurricane. We have survived what we expected to be a very bad hurricane, but it stayed off the coast, and we are very thankful for that. But praying for those people in the Bahamas because yeah, that thing no is not it. fun. That was not. That was some. Uh, that's some sobering, humbling video when you see that. And I know it's it's unfortunately it's like every couple of years another monster storm seems to just tear those type of those places and the islands apart, man. But seeing the water come up on the second floor like that, tough pill to swallow indeed happy for you guys there in south florida that you're getting some relief at least is it is it crazy winds out there though how you how you dealing with that uh you know it, it is but um it's not too bad to be honest you know uh you know one of the days that we were i guess on lockdown uh was one of the nicest days went to the beach <laughs> it was really beautiful man even yesterday there's a lot of people at the beach so uh surprisingly enough um the the wind has actually Made it a little bit cooler here, but not not too bad, to be honest. Excellent. Excellent, indeed. Uh, we have a loaded show. I mentioned it off the top. Lots to look forward to, included, including a Bellator 226 card that will bring the return of Ryan Bader. Well, guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My word. I'm not Ryan Bader. No, you're not. You're Sugar Rashad Evans. But Ryan Bader will be back to defend his heavyweight championship. But I don't want to bury the lead. We got two big-time guests this week getting you fired up for that 242 card in Abu Dhabi that I mentioned. It is Dustin Poirier dropping by the pod to talk about his preparations there during ATT Media Day for Habib and Edson Barbosa, who will be back in this co-main event on Saturday. Brandon Wise was happy enough to scoop up some sound with those broskies. We will get to that later in the show. Uh, guys, before we... Uh we talk about all things UFC Shenzhen, which was a wild Saturday morning breakfast component there for those of us on the East Coast. What's going on in the life of the Sugar Man? You training? You got the ripped abs? How are we doing here? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I've been back in the gym. Uh, I don't know if I'm making a comeback. I don't think so right now. Uh, but for the most part, I'm just, I'm just, uh, missing a sport. You know, when you do something for so long, it just gets so hard to not, uh, to get that out of your system. So, I stayed out as long as I can. I allowed my body to heal up, but now I love to uh, go into the gym and mix it up with the boys. You got some new training partners I see at, at uh, Hard Knocks 365. You want to talk about that at all? You see, yeah. see a little Vitor action? Yeah, Vitor came back. Uh, 
Anthony Rumble Johnson is back. You know what? It's starting to feel like 2010, 2011 in there. <laughs> Black Zillions, right? Yeah, it started to feel pretty good. Uh, you know, we're, we're pushing each other. And, uh, you know, Anthony wants to make a comeback. And Vitor is, you know, he's going to be fighting in one, um, I guess, by next year or sometime. So he's getting his body ready. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of old energy in there, but uh, it's good though because the younger guys are, are, you know, they're getting a chance to see us and pick up some, you know, pick up uh, from us. Well, Rashad, one of my favorite fighters of all time as a fan was that superhero that we saw in 2013 called TRT Vitor Belfort, Mohawk and all, giving spinning leg kicks and sending future Hall of Famers to hell. Did you ever get a chance to spar with that man during that time? Oh yeah, I was one of his trainer partners back then. He was very dangerous to train with, you know. Uh, you know, but here's the thing though. Vitor is, um, he, he's explosive. He, he's dangerous to train with sometimes, but he, he looks out for you. You know what I'm saying? He's not trying to, he's not trying to kill you or nothing like that. Love that man. I went on a, uh, pink wine drunken induced, uh, trip down memory lane on UFC Fight Pass last week and just relived that insane run through Rockhold, Bisping, Hendo. Hendo again in the rematch. That I mean, look, that's a, that's a mythical run right there. You know, what yeah, I mean? it, was, it was it was amazing run. Indeed, uh, Brandon, you uh, your your head okay? You, you had a little bit of sparring action there at the Hard Knocks. You're you're not getting in there against some some real players, are you? No, we uh, we went to the gym on Saturday, and we were all the three or four of us that showed up were like, nobody's actually going to come today. Why did we actually show up at the gym? So it was only four of us sparring, and you know, what day was this? Saturday. Oh, Saturday. This is when we were still like a little bit unsure of what the cone was going to oh, look like. Yeah. So it was like, we, let's just go and see what happens. Um, we, we, but went and got a little, got caught a little bit on okay. the side of the table. Okay. Huh? I said, yeah. okay, okay. Got caught a little bit, got clipped. So it was, it was a little hairy, but you know, powered through. It makes you tougher. Is I heard that when you walked into the front desk, this is what, what you said to them. Let me bang with somebody. And I heard it happened, and you got a taste of that. All right, Brandon. I'm no longer sparring with you, just so that people know. I mean, look, you're getting, you're getting in there with MMA fighters. What do you expect me to do? I'm 41 years old. I'm washed, all right? So you've officially backed out. That means I win. I don't know if that's a victory, Brandon. That's right. a forfeit. Oh, that's a forfeit. It sounds like a forfeit to me, but uh... <laughs> well, the, the, the year's not the calendar year's not over yet. All right, let me get back on that. Indeed. All right, hey, we got to break down some serious fights here. Before we do, though, let's take a pause for the cause and hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. And we're back. BCB Dubs, Sugar, Rashad Evans, back in your ear hole, fellas. Saturday morning, UFC Shenzhen. We've got a new women's strawweight champion. She bangs, she bangs. It's Wale Zhang. Well, I must have butchered that again. But what a coming out party. The first Chinese-born champion needed 42 seconds to remove Jessica Andrade from her senses. Guys, you have heard me like a broken record on this show telling you. Women's 115. They bring the power they bring the value. They bring the entertainment. This was no shortage of that. But Rashad Evans, talk about something we didn't see coming. Look, it was sort of a hipster hot take to say Zhang's a live dog here. She's fighting in front of the home fans in China. But could you have ever imagined it going this perfectly? Not this perfectly, but I will say this. I don't like to be the guy to want to say I told you so, but during the breakdown last week, I recall saying, listen, everybody's going to remember her name. 
after Saturday, and that's exactly what happened. Weili Zhang, you know, I've I seen her in a couple other fights, and she had a grit, but she had something behind her eyes, and I knew that this girl was a contender, you know? And when she got the shot to fight uh, for the title over Michelle Waterson, I knew it was going to be a tough fight as well for Andrade, but I did not expect that at all. What what, what you got there to see what was, um, you know, a fighter who just embodied just the energy that that was just on her shoulders and in the whole environment and didn't falter at all and went out there and fought unbelievable. You know how hard that is to fight with a nation on your back and go out there and win in phenomenal fashion. Hats off to her. I mean, that that was phenomenal. It could not have gone any more perfect from the idea of UFC launching the second performance institute in Shanghai, trying to get into that market Kind of rushing her maybe into this title shot, although Dana tried to explain the reasons why ranked number six she would get this shot because everybody else was busy. And then she comes through and performs like that. It's like you could not have scripted it any better from the idea of with one billion people in China, let's say only 10% of people of that one billion have ever even heard of mixed martial arts and they get, a, they get attached to the story. A star is now born. It has to be. What I don't understand, though, Rashad, is Jessica Andrade is a former Bantamweight. She's a badass who cut down in size to make 115 these days as the champion, and she looked minuscule next to Zong. She's jacked. She's huge. She's a factor. But I didn't see that against Tisha Torres. I didn't see that same person in her three or four UFC fights up to this point. Was this just Andrade? I don't know, getting caught up in the moment, fighting the wrong game plan, and perfectly walking head first into that buzzsaw? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. You know, listen, I, I would definitely give, uh, you know, Whaley her respect. You know, she, she definitely, you know, went out there and made those combinations catch, and she did make Andrade pay for coming up short and kind of falling into her punches, not really stepping into it, but kind of falling into her punches, and that made it easier for her to get caught with those punches. But I, I think a big part of that was, Andrage just, you know, not getting her legs on you. Sometimes when you get ready to fight, I'm going to tell you right now, your feet go to sleep and you can't feel your feet. That's why you see a lot of people slapping their legs and shaking their legs out because for some reason when the nerves hit you, you can't feel your feet. And it takes a little bit of seconds, takes a little bit of moving around to get your legs underneath you in a fight sometimes. And it didn't look like Andrage had her legs underneath her. And like I said, not taking anything away from Zhang, but I just didn't see this much of a landslide. I just can't believe that the champion would have, you know, get landslide this much. I, I, I just can't, I, I just can't see it. I just think you have to look back if you're on Drage and she was very respectful afterwards. She was, she was smiley afterwards. In fact, Bisping was caught off guard in the cage post fight interview, sort of being like, wow, you look really happy. You, you look really good. I mean, she showed a lot of humility and respect, but Brandon, if you're part of her team and you go back to the, uh, the drawing board after this, I want to compare it to the way Cyborg fought against Amanda Nunez in their super fight in which maybe we really didn't see what that fight would have looked like because Cyborg was so easily lured into a brawl. There wasn't any luring in this. What was Andrade doing? Uh, man, I don't know. It's just so weird because that's her game plan though, right? Like it's to 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 stand and strike. She can wrestle, but her her strength is in her hands and in her punches. So I don't really know. My only like point of reference for something like this happening where a champion just gets destroyed this quickly i guess would be mcgregor against jose aldo right i mean i don't remember seeing another champion get demolished that quickly in that kind of way and i mean credit to Wei lee man because 
like like Rashad said, she she went out there and did what she needed to do in front of fans that were probably going crazy for her. She was carrying the weight of a nation on her, like That's the hopes, yeah, the hopes of the UFC, really, right? Like the UFC <laughs> just invested so much money in China, built the UFC PI center there, hoping to get something like this, and it just falls into their lap like that. It's almost too perfect. Well, what we've seen historically for combat sports, and I don't mean this as like some like regional stereotyping or profiling, but what we've seen from the Asian fighters in boxing MMA through the years at times is a next level toughness, a, a just a mental wiring that is different. The thing was though, coming into this fight, I would have described Andrade as that. She had, you know, she endured a, a round from hell against Nami Yunus, but was able to sort of keep her wits against her and finish that fight. Same thing in her title loss to Joanna Young Jacek. She was losing that fight badly, never went away from her game plan, was still landing bombs late, still trying to win. And then she just ran into somebody who buzzsawed her, but somebody who showed me some sort of scary mental confidence coming in. I read a lot of the quotes. I watched the interviews translated from Weili Zong. She said, look, I'm have to be 100% all in. I can't be 80% because I may set myself up to give, to find an opening to, to quit or fail. I'm going all in. And it wasn't like this turned out to be some war of attrition, but to balance all the expectations, all the pressure, all of that, and stand in that pocket with Andrade coming at her, and it's not like Whaley didn't eat something. She ate some couple stiff shots. But to be able to finish like that and then Rashad to go next level and go Anderson Silva, Rich Franklin, parts one and two, and show you some of the most lethal and brutal uh, Muay Thai that we've seen to put away a reigning champion. I just have to say, like, what does this say to those first few fights from Whaley in the UFC, which she won, but again, didn't look like this? Well, I, I think it shows that, that she's grown and she's grown at an exponential rate, you know, and the whole the whole Chinese, uh, you know, fighters, they're, they're growing a lot, too. You know, when I first went to China about five years ago, when I when I first seen Stylebender, um, they didn't, they, they weren't really together on the MMA scene at all, like whatsoever, uh, to the point where they were still, um, doing some workouts in their facilities that they had their, um, wrestling and stuff like that. Because you know how like their government has like, uh, places for like their, their sports, you know? So that's where the mixed martial arts, they were doing it in those facilities. But the growth that they have had since the, you know, the UFC's decided to come over there. And, and these athletes are growing so much, you know, coming over here, also training with some of the athletes over here and then mixing that also with, with the stuff they have going on on. You see that these, um, the growth in, in, in Whaley is, is taking advantage of that. And I, and I foresee her, you know, getting better and stronger in areas where, where we don't even see yet. You know, I think that in, in areas with her grappling, I think that that can be an area where she, you know, develop and get stronger and get more dominant because she's so physically big. You know, and I think their physical size will lend a lot of problems to a lot of, uh, a lot of fighters in her weight class. Yeah, she's, she's absolutely jacked. I, again, I'm, a, I was like alarmed at how much bigger than Andrade she actually was and, and it played out that way. What can she realistically become? I mean, there's one, this is why people want to get into China so bad. There's one billion people there. She sort of won the post-fight interview by sort of doing that little spiel in English saying, I'm Weili Zhang. Uh, don't forget, remember me. Uh, you know, I'm from China. You saw the pride for her nation there. This was a, a, a heck of a baby face turn. I'm really interested to see, similar to what we see in other sports, Jeff Horn in boxing when he beat Manny Pacquiao. I mean, she, she has the chance to be a legitimate overnight sensation where if I'm UFC and I'm Dana White, 
I'm not booking her fights anywhere, but but right back there. Let's let's go Shanghai next. Let's go on top of the Great Wall. The fight after that. Let's see what we have here in this star. I mean, this was everything they ever could have wanted, and sort of rushing people in the past like a Darren Till into a title shot to say, "Do we have a second-rate McGregor on our hands?" You sort of just fell into this, Brando. We've got a new market. We've got a day one queen. It's almost too good to be true. You got any tin foil on your helmet here? Is there any part of you that's thinking Stipe tapped here? I mean, is it too good to be true? I'm just saying you could make an argument that, you know, there might have been a little under the table cash. Oh, how dare you? No way. No way. Are we talking like Kimbo Slice Seth Petrozelli where they told, where Lead XC told Seth, don't take it to the ground? Is that what we're saying here? No, no. I was just kidding. No, I know but, you're kidding, but it, it, if you were, and I know, by the way, look, every you could, fight, but you they, people say it's fixed. It. Every fight, people say it's fixed, right? McGregor Aldo, it was all over everywhere. But I do get what you're saying. It was like obscenely perfect. It was just like, if you're sitting there in the UFC financial war room, you're doing backflips after that. Yeah. And like you mentioned, though, Dana White did say after that her next fight is going to be in the U.S., not in China. So he wants to bring the star power to here. He also said that a bunch of agents were reaching out to him saying that they want to make endorsement deals now with her, which wow. that's great for her. That's but it's her. also just kind of – I don't know. I just find that all uh, that whole thing weird. But I think that speaks more to the fact that they are now owned by an agency, mm-hmm. right, with WME. So, And, and that demographic is, is so – huge because it is, is relatively untapped right. you know what i'm saying in, in in the way that you know that that it can be mm-hmm. and uh i think that once the ufc starts to really dig in there and really start to you know blow this girl up like, a, like oh she can be then man yeah and the thing is i think the next question would be like who would she take on in her in her first defense and it's do you give her an, a rematch with andrage does andrage really deserve a, an immediate rematch do you wait and see what happens with michelle and Joanna in a couple of weeks. Yeah, man, Boogie Woman is coming. I just want to remind you of that. Boogie Woman is coming tomorrow. Not tomorrow, but she is coming. And what about Rose, bro? Oh, you can't forget about Rose. There's Rose. There's also Tatiana Suarez who's waiting too. You're right. You're right. Look, this 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 complicates the division, and I think in a great way, an already great and deep division. But how much does this craziness make you respect things? Let me let me explain it like this. I'm not saying I was prepared for you on, for Jessica Andrade to go on a run as champion, but I certainly couldn't have guessed it would end like this. We know this sport you could lose, like, so many ways. We know it's unpredictable. We know you could be Jose Aldo and walk into a punch in 13 seconds and that's it. How much does this make you respect, though? Like a Yuana Young Jacek who put together that run, or like a George St. Pierre, or like a John Jones. I mean, Rashad, you won the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship during a a time where you can argue that was the deepest any division in the history of the sport has ever been, comparable to lightweight today. And that was an, a time when a bunch of different Hall of Famers flip-flopped the title back and forth. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to do what those names I just mentioned, the John Joneses, the GSPs, the Ioannas have done for a season? It's extremely hard because one one thing that you know I didn't do and that I learned after I lost was – when when you become a champion, you, you have to flip your mindset and it becomes a mindset switch because at one point you're the you're the one who's doing the hunting. But when you become champion, you're the one who's being hunted. So the people who come to fight you come with a different kind of energy level and you have to be able to meet that. So now 
you can't meet that as like, oh, I'm being hunted. So now I have to, you know, watch out. I got to fight more careful. No, you have to flip your mindset and say, no, I'm still hunting. And you have to go out there and destroy that person in front of you. And you have to make a game to yourself about what it means to compete from being at the top. Because competing from trying to get to the top is different from competing when you're already at the top. And I think when you don't make that transition, then you have a short stay like I did. Yeah, it's crazy because you look at how quickly outside of that run from Ioana that this title has become hot potato. I mean, when Rose beats Ioana twice, you're like, wow, she's figured it out. She's the one. Good God, you watch round one of her against Andrade and you're like, she may never lose this title. I know we get caught in our feelings sometimes when we see somebody look good for a few minutes, but this division, still fun. Still, I'm not sure who's going to come out of it. I mean, can Ioana, if she beats, and that's not a given by any means, but if she beats Karate Hadi, does she have another title run in her? Can Rose get back mentally where she needs to be, man? I love this division. Talk me off the ledge here, guys. This is it. This is, this is what I want out of MMA. I want the women's strawweights. No, you're, you're right about it. It's a lot of, uh, exciting, you know, storylines that can potentially happen, but you know, I'm excited to see what the boogie woman can do. You know, she went up and, you know, she, she's had her, she's had her struggles from, from being champion. But I think that that's what really makes someone be champion. When you have those struggles and then get back to that title shot and then win, I think that's the testament of a true, uh, true champion. And it will be interesting to see if the Oana can get back there. Wow. I want to see, I want to see, uh, did you, you saw, I'm sure you may have seen this anyway, Rashad being on the inside of the UFC, but Brandon, I watched that, uh, it was it was cringe, but I watched that tour Dana White gave the dude from uh, Barstool of the full extended office. And uh, yeah, no, shake your head, I know. But did you see that war room where all the fighters are ranked on the uh, on the on all the whiteboards in every division? The matchmaking room. I'd love yeah. to be in there when they map out the territory at one fifteen, Brandon. Come on. That would. I mean, and being anywhere in the matchmaking process for UFC would be interesting to me. Yeah, you you done time on that in that in the new offices, Rashad? In the bar there that Dana has in the office. Yeah, I've, I've been there. We, uh, you know, been there for a couple of meetings and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. You know, they, they go to work in that war room and, uh, you know, they, they say they, 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 they hammer it out in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they hammer it out in there. Sometimes they say they go in there and they're, you know, they end up being in there all day, just, you know, going back and forth about who's going to fight who and why they should fight who. And it's, it's, uh, it's war. <laughs> I know there's only so much of behind the curtain you should show of, of the sausage being made. I mean, WWE nowadays on the WWE network shows way more behind the scenes stuff on people than you would ever guess, but they even keep that private and separate, the sort of creative meetings when they decide who's next and whatever. If UFC ever decided to put some cameras in there during some of that, that could be some, some, some top shelf entertainment for sure. Brandon, nothing else happened in Shenzhen that I'm going to talk about. The floor is yours though, if you want to. All right. <laughs> no, I'm good. Right. Unless you want to talk about uh, um, the leech, as they were calling him on the broadcast, getting a nice win in the co-main event. Zhang Lang. Zhang Lang. Zhang Lang getting paid over here. Zhang Lang getting paid over here. Zhang Lang is looking good, man. I'll tell you that, man. He is looking pretty good. I like his style because he's got a kind of gritty style, and at the same time, he's got, a little, he's got some hands, and he stands inside the pocket with a little bit of power. So this kid is, is looking like he uh, has a right recipe to be effective at 170 because the, the the 170 landscape you have to have the right recipe and I think it has to be you know a bit of that grit being able to wrestle and being able to grind because the top five guys are true grinders you know and if you're not made from that cloth then you're not going to be a contender in a weight class. 
Not in today's time. Brando, what do we got in the news this week? You want to go news? Yeah, hit me up with this. What do we got here? Let's break things down. Well, let's start off the top. Last week, there were reports that it's close to being done. Still not confirmed yet, but they're looking at booking Colby and Kamaru for UFC 244 in New York City as the headliner. How do you feel about that as a headlining pay-per-view main event? I mean, I certainly don't feel negative. It's sexy. It's a great style matchup. It's it's going to cross over with the potential for trash talk. But I've been eating long enough now, right? I know you want to tell me to stop being greedy, but that's a perfect New York co-main event. Like that's perfect. Like jack up this new these New York cars. Remember last year it was DC and in in uh, in Derek Lewis, and we took a step down from to a certain degree from what those first two were. For the years that we waited for MMA to get in New York and for UFC to get in Madison Square Garden, they made those cards feel like gift Super Bowls. Make this the co-main. And give me Connor in the main. Give me Connor and Tony Ferguson. Give me something. Yeah, jack this card up, hey, Brandon. All right? Yeah, maybe a John Jones in the main event or something like that. But you know what, though? I, I Honestly speaking, I'm not even mad at this being a main event. I think, honestly speaking, this has enough to be a main event because it, is sexy. it has – it, it it has that it has that and I think sometimes I think honestly I think if you put this as the colon main event I think you waste a uh, a potential blockbuster card because it has potential to do enough on its own you know a lot of people are very interested in this Kobe brings an interest inside of it you know bringing the fact that you know uh you know the whole presidential aspect in that he talks about and you know the president will probably come to it or his kids will probably go you know it 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 it'll bring a lot of national attention to to the fight, and especially being in New York, you know. So I, I think it'd be a, a good main event. Well, it could certainly work as a main event. You would, you're obviously no matter what, are going to need to double up and bring a big co-main. Has there been any rumors, Brandon? Who could we be looking at? Well, no, that's the thing actually that Rashad mentions it. John Jones kind of has been tweeting around, like hinting at a possibility of fighting in New York, but you never know. And it doesn't sound like there's been any true decision made, but. It's like, where do you want to load up for if you're UFC? Do you want to load up the MSG card on November 2nd, or do you want to load up that final pay-per-view of the year on December 14th in Vegas? Because I don't know if you can do both. I think you can do both, and here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to do what you've done the last few fights. Put John Jones in the main event. It's not going to be the sexiest matchup, but he's the greatest of all time, so continue to market it like that. And if you're telling me we did John Jones and Jan Bławicic as the main event of this card— You'd bring in a giant Polish fan base in New York. That that I mean, not. I mean, look, that card's going to sell out no matter what. It's freaking MSG. They break revenue records every time UFC goes in that building. But there's something there. There's danger in that fight. I think it'd be fun. And then if you put this kind of Colby Camaro main event that would get everybody talking, this might end up being the people's main event by the end of the week. I don't see how you fail with that. That would still bring the buzz of what these MSG cards are supposed to be about, provided you also had a strong main card with it. And then on top of that, you have the Colby Covington and John Jones aspect that they used yes. to be roommates, and they have that they have that little you know trash talking thing going on between them. So that it might be interesting to see those two fight on the uh, same card. You know, Colby saying I should be the main event. There'd be a lot of fun drama on that. <laughs> Brandon, yeah, you yeah. down with that? You down with? And look, I'm, it's not like I'm sitting here wanting John Jones to pick apart all these middle, you know, middle of the roadish light heavyweight contenders. We've talked about the lack of depth in this division, but look, his fight with Maheta turned out to be better than I certainly gave it credit coming in. I'd be down with this. So that's fine, 
And that to me is just what do you make the main event for 245 and December 14th? Because they've already booked Amanda Nunez against uh, Jermaine Durand to me. I like that fight, but I just don't feel like that's your year-end pay-per-view main event. That's your Connor return. That's look. Something's a decision's gonna have to be made. Can we put Connor in a main event and not have it be a title and go five rounds and be super smart, or do we talk Connor off the ledge and say, look, you're gonna have to come back in a co-main event? I think eventually it's gonna win out being smart and making his return a giant thing. No matter who you put him in against, it could be Frankie Edgar. It'd sell. It'd be great. Make that the main event. Make that an, an attraction. All right. Mm. I'll buy. Yeah. Let's talk about your favorite sub subject, Paige Van Zandt. Why is that my favorite subject? <laughs> well, she went on Arrow Hawani show last week and said that she is currently making more on Instagram than she does when she fights in the UFC. I believe it. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I mean, I'm. Well, let's think. Let's think here. A couple of things. Well, for one, she doesn't really fight that much in the UFC. So, I mean, for I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then, you know, depending on what contract that she got in here, she. Might only be fighting for what, sixteen, sixteen? I don't know. Yeah, and the the point. Go ahead, sorry. The the point of this was that she's she also said that she plans to fight out the rest of her contract to see what she's worth on the open market. Obviously, to try and get Bellator involved to see if they're going to bid on her. So it's all part of her going on kind of a marketing campaign with her her now husband uh, Austin Vanderford when they went on the show together to say like, look. I'm not making a ton of money from UFC. I do this kind of as a hobby now, now that she's making so much money with her Instagram deal. Mm. I don't doubt that. She made a ton on Dancing with the Stars. She's probably for now more market, certainly more marketable and, and potential money outside the cage than what she can do inside of it. The, 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 the fear here is this. You can't go too far out of the side of the cage for too long without coming back in and, 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 and being able to sustain your long-term marketability. And the problem with her coming back in is she's not that great. I mean, in the right matchup, she can give you the the switch kick KO finish against Beck Rawlings and remind us that certainly there's some skill there. And she's only 25. But that ceiling's near. It is. So unless she's going to get super serious and try to climb a ladder to become a contender and go down that road, she's an attraction fighter. And she's not that great. So, how much money can she demand? Yeah. I mean, I feel like Bellator is going to throw a lot of money at her. They should, and she should, by the way. And I think she's smart testing her free agent value. And I think if you're Bellator, yeah, do it. You That's a soft landing for matchmaking. You can make her a star there. Yep. Yeah, and I think it would be great for her, too, because then she'd be able to have those, I guess, lighter matchups and, and, and then be able to – you know, grow into the fighter that I think that she could be because here's the thing about it. I think that she could be a decent fighter. You said that she's not good. I don't think she's not good. I just think that she's just outmatched a lot of times. She's scrappy as hell. And I think that, I think that will lend her, uh, a lot of, um, I, I guess it, it'll do her some well in Bellator. But I think that in the UFC, she was a little bit too outmatched with the skill-wise. Right. And the thing is, if you match her hard consistently in the UFC, she's probably going to lose, which is going to kill her value. So you're in this weird territory where I get what she's saying. I, I can make more outside of it. Well, it's a reason. Her star is bigger than her ability to fight, right? You know, she's 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 marketed herself very strategically and very smartly. She's great looking. She's got a personality. Like, there's some elements there, but... 
against the elite competition consistently, although flyweight is a, a shorter pool than, than her days at, uh, at strawweight for sure, I think she's going to get matched out quick, and then she's going to be out of the sport quick. So go to Bellator. Do it. Do it. And it doesn't seem like UFC's leaping backwards to keep her. Yeah. I just noticed, by the way, that I didn't know Bellator does not have a women's strawweight or bantamweight championship. They've vacated the strawweight championship in 2010, and now they only have flyweight and featherweight. Well, once hmm. Alejandra uh, Azul Lara becomes the star that she can be, they will, okay? And then you're going to see her against PVZ, and I'll be there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about something we started with off the top. Quick. Yeah, sorry. Okay, keep going. Go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Rumble Johnson is planning a comeback in 2020, and it sounds like he's going to be at heavyweight, which is kind of where we always Don't say sounds like, dude. He's like 300 pounds of jacked <laughs> muscle. He ain't cutting down to 205, bro, all right? You got to see how big he is. He is so monstrous right now. And I was watching, there's a video of him online hitting pads with Henry and just the concussion of this. His mitt in a pad is like, doom, doom, doom. <laughs> Boom! You just know it. All that bass. You just like, man, that dude is hitting hard right now. Brandon, what's the specifics? What? what do we know about this comeback at this point? We don't know much outside of uh, his agent told ESPN last week he's planning on coming back in 2020, looking for like March type of return. Um, and I mean, he's gonna bring the power to heavyweight, man. This he's, is fun. To, I was yeah. telling Rashad before the show. I feel like he's even more perfect for a fit for heavyweight than John Jones is that we've keep wanting to have because he's just going to be a crazy fun fighter for fans. Yeah. Well, after the fight with uh, DC and Stipe, uh, he texted me. He's like, yo, yo, I got that feeling again. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I think I need to come back. And it's been, <laughs> I mean, Anthony doesn't like when he stopped fighting, he was like, I'm done with fighting. I want nothing to do with it. You couldn't even talk to Anthony about fighting, about anything. He wanted nothing to do with fighting and then to hear him, you know, text me and say that, it was like, wow, okay, he must really, really want to do it because, you know, he, it was just so far off of his, out of his heart, you know, and he was just like, I'm just not a fighter. It's not what I want to do. But something in that fight made him be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not giving up on this yet. Well, what do you think, having known him and having known the, the life of a fighter that, that pulled him out of the sport? Because his UFC was that UFC 211 when he lost to DC in the rematch in Buffalo. That wasn't his best performance. You could tell his heart wasn't in it. It wasn't shocking after he lost that fight that he would walk away. But but he also hadn't seemed to fulfill his true potential at that point. Yeah, I think a lot of things, you know, he, he was struggling with. And I think uh, for the most part, you know, a lot of people just have a hard time dealing with the highs and lows of the sport. You know, when, when you have your when, when you're at a high and you're riding on cloud nine, you get just as low. And, and um, that feeling of, of lowness uh, is hard for a lot of people to, to deal with. And sometimes then rather than deal with that feeling of, of that feeling of lowness, people just choose not to do the sport anymore at all and just walk away from it because it, there's so much stress involved in it. You know, if I, if I know that at any given point I can feel so amazingly good, but then if it doesn't go right, then I can feel so amazingly bad then it gets really hard for me to get on that ride again because I don't know what that outcome is going to be. And that, and that, and that brings an anxiety to competing that, that, that a lot of people don't really speak about. That's interesting. Although we've seen him certainly at heavyweight before in that one-off in World Series of Fighting against Arlovsky, this would be a new chapter 
for him if he if he comes in as just straight up yoked heavyweight. Where like he's already had one of the most unique careers ever. Like he's got really good wins, specifically at light heavyweight. But I went back on another late night pink wine induced drunken escapade on Fight Pass after this announcement happened and rewatched his welterweight run. I mean, good God, thin, ripped, sending dudes to hell. Like, we'll never, I don't think we'll ever see a fighter like this. A guy who was a legitimate welterweight contender with insane power carried that power up every step of the way. And now this guy, I mean, have we seen a, he's going to come back like Shane Carwin, basically. Like, this is like the same guy who like five, six years ago was making 170. It's insanity. Can he be good with that muscle base though, Rashad? Like, how much of that would you advise him to take off? You know, I, I, th- I think for the most part, uh, I think he's pretty good with it, but, but I think what he needs to, to really work, he wants to get down to, he said about 235, 240. And compete around there right now. I'm guessing he's about 265, maybe 270. He's 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 a big big dude. So I think over the next few months he'll start to shed some weight. And um, you know he he's this time off it has has actually provided him to sharpen up some other skills that he used to hate. You know he used to hate grappling. So he actually entered and, and started doing some grappling training on his own and you know and, and that kind of thing. So these are the kind of things that um, has made him grow outside of, you know, just just from training and fighting. And I think that when he goes to heavyweight, I think that he's going to be glad that he did that because he can fall on a skill set which he didn't really have before at the other weight classes. Brandon, pound for pound, name me a more devastating puncher in UFC history. In UFC history? Yes, pound for pound, bro. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, revisit – the 2015 Alexander Gustafson fight. I mean, seriously, <laughs> little nog before that. I mean, he just, I mean, he took Ryan Bader's soul before this rebirth. I mean, this I, like, I would say, I would say him and, and, and Ganu got just the, the, the most natural punching power the UFC's ever seen. Like these dudes are knocking people, these guys out of their shoes, you know, and what, but so where do you throw him? To get him back in, in in March, like you just throw him into the deep end at heavyweight. And Didn't say, he mention a couple aging names that he was interested in? Wasn't it like a JDS in there or like a Overeem type? I'll I'll give it a look. I think he wants to fight Overeem because him and Overeem has a bit of uh, history. They used to train together before, and um, yeah. I don't know. AJ AJ's always kind of always wanted to express interest in uh, wanting to fight Alistair because he used to watch him train, and he used to be like, "Oh, Alistair's a bully," because what Alistair used to do. Is Alistair would have his camps and he'd have his camps and it'd be private, but he'd have guys, heavyweights come in and he'd just like, you know, beat the hell out of these guys, you know, but they were guys who he should beat up on. And Anthony was like, oh man, you know, he's a bully. And, and he always wanted to like, you know, I guess get at him. So yeah, you guys were right. It was Junior and Alistair were the two names mentioned by Dude, he, Ali. Every time he fights, it's going to be appointment viewing. This is going to be fun to see. I hope he can get himself back in. I know the fight he's always wanted was John Jones. And, God, he came so close to getting that until that intersection in Albuquerque, Brandon, robbed us of that fight for the 205 title. Uh, I wonder if we could see that long term. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Anthony Johnson's going to come in and be the same guy. It's, it's, but with, when you have that power, dude, he could become an old stalking Dan Henderson and still be a player when you have that type of power that you have where you, 
people have to take you seriously at all times. It does cover up mistakes, Rashad, when you have, when you're blessed with that. I mean, Rashad, you could bang. No one's saying that Rashad Evans couldn't bang, all right? You, you removed the soul from Chuck Liddell and held it over his head. But this guy's <laughs> got that extra. Yeah, next, he, next he's level. got the extra and he's going to carry it even more. And I think now that, um, you know, like I was saying, time away from the sport has, uh, allowed him to just, you know, mature at a different rate. And I think that, you know, some of that maturing has been in, in his power. As you can see, now he's a, you know, dang built like a power lifter. You know, he's absolutely massive. So, uh, once that punching power, that, that power that he has from lifting weights, you know, transfer over into, uh, his punching power more. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he's going to break. Gonna I'm break not, him. I'm not sparring him. I'm not sparring him. I'm not sparring him. I'm not. Brandon, I'm not. don't get sucked in in that gym to sparring him. By the way, Brandon, uh, reporter on the scene, you did, uh, have lunch with him this weekend? What happened? I just saw him at the bar and that's when I told Rashad that I, he looked even bigger than I thought he was going to look because I was told that he had lost a little bit of weight and that he was starting this training session. It, to me, it didn't look like that. He still looked as big as ever. Yeah. And that's not to say he's like 300 pounds, but he just looked a lot bigger than he was at 205. And, he, and he's very sensitive about his weight too. So don't even don't even ask <laughs> uh, him. Don't even ask, don't even ask him how much he weighs. He nope. might bite your head off. Nope. I told I told BC if I see him at Hard Knocks, I'm running out the door. <laughs> I'm not even staying for class. <laughs> All right. What else we got? What else we got here? All right. I saved this for the end just because I wanted to tie this into our 242 preview, but. Khabib gave a little bit of an interview to ESPN last week, and he said that he is not going to give Conor McGregor a rematch. He says that Conor needs to build himself back up and start a win streak and that there is no point in doing an immediate rematch when he has other opponents that he can face. But he also did say the beef is never dead. <laughs> I think he also went on to say if I see when I see him, we're fighting. Like he was yeah. straight up like not going to give him the rematch he wants in the cage – but when I see him in public, we're fighting, and and, and he gave an all timer. Do you do you have the quote in front of you? He gave, oh. which is like, they go to the hospital, we go to the police. Is that basically what he said? <laughs> yeah, that's that's along the lines of what he said. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, I mean, I get it. It makes sense business wise. Even if he's just trying to get leverage business wise, the hate, the hate's real. We'll, we <laughs> yeah, will the see hate that is real. I, mean, I, I think it's great though. I think it's a great strategy by Habib. Just to kind of take control over, over Connor's star. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what he's doing. He's hijacking his star. He's saying, listen, you're not going to get a chance to perform on his platform until you do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and it, it, it's kind of funny because being a champion, he does have the ability to, to do that, right? Dude, I, Habib interviews are so, uh, appointment viewing because of his just complete no sell of everything. Just his, just, you know, just, he just doesn't care, and, and he's got the ability to stand firm on all of that. This is number one bullshit. And he's going to smash your boy, and he did smash your boy. Uh, Brandon, gun to your head right now. Will we see Habib Connor 2, title or not? But we will we see it before both go their separate ways, and will it breaketh the UFC pay-per-view record? So you're saying before both of them retire? Yes. Well, I, 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 not after, right? <laughs> um... Yes, I would say that we do see a rematch at some point. Too much storyline there, indeed. Yeah. The best yeah. thing way, that could happen for UFC. There's way too much money to 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 go, you know. Well, that's why to, the best thing to happen to you for UFC is Conor to get back in and get busy 
especially if he can go in there and, and, and beat a Frankie Edgar type, a Justin Gage G type, then you can you really start getting back to the idea of deserving the rematch. Listen, and if you're uh, Connor, you better hope Tony Ferguson gets out of the way. By the way, you better hope yeah. Habib can get him next if he wins. For Connor's sake, he needs to get back in there. He needs to start winning again because here's one thing that he's realizing by being out is that that spotlight. No one owns that spotlight. You know what I'm saying? And when you're not competing and when you're not out there and you're not, you know, keeping that spotlight on you, that spotlight moves. You know, and if that spotlight is not on you, then you're not getting those pay per view numbers. So. You know, Connor definitely desperately needs to uh, go out there and, and have a fight that and, and win a fight and look impressive to keep those eyes on him. Absolutely, uh, Brandon. All right, last bit here, and it's from the co- the challenger in the title fight on Saturday, Dustin Poirier. He says that a win over Khabib on Saturday will make him the greatest light heavyweight to ever step inside the octagon. Lightweight. Lightweight. That's what I said, right? No, you said light heavyweight, but uh, no, that's not true. Uh, it's ambitious to say something like that, but let's. Can we not? Can we not do that? His win. <laughs> his win streak. Just so we are aware, his win streak would be Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Khabib Nurmagomedov. All right, I'm, look, that frames it a little bit better, but that is a pretty. Uh... It's a murderer's row. It is, is pretty badass. Row. All right, who would we? I know we have to do this after every fight. Did that person just become the greatest? And that, like, who? Who are we? Can, who's in the argument here? We're talking about BJ Penn. I mean, Khabib. Um, With Khabib's insane unbeaten streak. There's just not a lot of like surging, overwhelming names on there. I think there will be eventually. I don't think he's going to slow down. I think he he has a chance to to be the man in this historically great division right now. And I know he's added a few, and the and the Ayakinta win looks better and all that good stuff. But I mean, so Frankie, I think you have to put in that conversation. Benson Henderson, maybe. Pettis was there at the right time. I mean, nah, Pettis' window was so short, though. I mean, you're you're talking BJ Penn, basically. No, honestly, honestly speaking, if he, truthfully speaking, if if he does beat Habib, then he could honestly say that. Truth, um, really, he can say that because it was a BJ that's a, Penn. That's a badass stretch in a row of wins. I will, I will get. All right, you know what? I I, I kind of crapped on that off the start, and the more you think about it. Yeah, he he will be. I don't know, it's tough. Like my heart of hearts, BJ Penn's the best lightweight I've ever seen. But if he turns around after the after if he beats Khabib and then turns around and beats Tony Ferguson, I mean, you can't really fight that anymore, right? Yeah, you know, and looking over, and you keep Tony Ferguson in your pound for pound top ten, BC. I do keep Tony Ferguson firmly in the middle of my pound for pound top ten. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know what, Dustin Poirier? You got a shot to make that argument. You got to win this fight, though, and and I can't wait to see it. And Brandon, we might as well hear from him. We might as well get fired up right now. No, actually, we won't. Hold on, one more bit of news. I mentioned BJ Penn. You want to hit this? No, I don't want to hit this. You you could probably hit this. Well, I mean, like, what else are we going to add on from the rants we've given? But two more TMZ drunken fights. I know his team saying he was trying to break up a fight. Well, when you turn on TMZ and you're watching BJ Penn get dropped by some shirtless fat dude in a park, it's like, I mean, dare Dana White stop giving this man fights? A, dear people in in BJ Penn's life, help him. 
get them yep. away from from these bars and and yeah, that's that's what it is. The hanging out at the bars, and, and at the end of the day, like when you start hanging out, and and it, and it looks to me like this, like when you, it looks like he hangs at the bar too much because when you hang out at a bar so much, people get familiar with you, and you know what I'm saying. They, See you on your bad days. May have seen them get drunk a few times and stumbling. So they kind of you lose respect, you know. And then after a while, they they step to you. So you can't be hanging out in bars, man. That's that's a that's a wrong place to be. It has helped his win loss record though, as he seems to be on a uh, two fight. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. That's bad. It's just bad. Please, I hope that this was. We we said it in the weeks. Every time BJ Penn makes the headlines, we say, "Stop it, Dana. Stop it." So lost eight in a row. Stop it. I really hope this was the final bit of just, yeah, why are we, why are we doing this? Why does he need one more fight? Stop this. Get it away. Again, give him a check. All right. Give him a job. Give him something. Just don't give him more fights. All right. Rant over with. Let's get into this weekend. It's UFC 242. It's in Abu Dhabi. It pops big because of this lightweight main event Saturday afternoon on the East Coast time. It's Habib Nurmagomedov against the interim champion, Dustin Poirier. And we've got the diamond right here, right now. Brando sat down with him at ATT. It's time. Coming at you. Enjoy. How has the camp been like for this this fight? You know, obviously a little bit different now with your with the belt and with the title on the line, and now you're going to another country all together. So how's this, this preparation been like for you? It's been great. It's been exciting. I've been here 10 weeks now at American Top Team preparing for this one. I believe I came, uh, or it's going to be 10 weeks. Uh, I believe I came at the beginning of uh, June. I don't know, but it's been great. Everything's been smooth, right on track. The work's getting put in. The grind is alive and well, man. <laughs> um, how... Any concern for you going into a hostile territory, so to speak, where you're going to be with a lot of non-American fans? It's going to be a lot of probably Russian fans there supporting. Could be any concerns with that? Nah, no concerns. I'm embracing this all, man. Um, I think I have a lot of fans there as well. Um, if you're a fight fan, you're a, you're a fan of me because that's what I do. I scrap. And, you know, I'm just excited for the opportunity to go out there, do something that's never been done, put a loss on Khabib's record. Um, they're building a, an arena in Abu Dhabi as we speak for this event. It's just a historic moment in my career, and I'm, I'm embracing it all. Embracing the underdog role? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go out there and make history for all the underdogs across the world. Now, obviously, he's undefeated. He's got one of the best wrestling games in the world. What makes him so special? I'm, I'm not sure. I guess i got to go in there and find out myself, right? Um, his game planning, his sticking to what he wants to execute out there, his top pressure. A good, he has a good blend of, of wrestling and jiu-jitsu understanding and, and weight distribution on top, it seems like. He's, he's a big guy for the weight class. He's good cardio, good muscle endurance, you know? How is, you mentioned the weight class. You've obviously started to peak now that you're in 155 instead of cutting at 145. What's the difference been like for you now getting ready for this fight, now knowing you have to make that 155 run? You know, 55, the first few fights when I came up originally uh, from 45 were, were, I wouldn't say easy to make, but the weight cuts were smooth. Not not that I'm having a lot of trouble making it now, but it's not, you know, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's a very, you know, I've been dieting for probably nine weeks now, eight weeks. Uh, it's definitely a, a thing that, that I have to do right to, to, to make it smooth. 
Now, we do a podcast on CBS Sports with, we used to do it with King Mo, one of your coaches from yeah. DTT. He calls you at the time the perfect Khabib Krypton. What is, what is your take on that? Why does he, why does he say that? You gotta buy the pay-per-view, you know? September 7th, ESPN Plus. Now, obviously, you mentioned your daughter before we got started. What role has that played in this preparation? Has, has it changed anything for you? Has it changed your mindset going into these fights? Yeah, it just kind of reminds me every day when I'm, fighting is a selfish sport. Um, it reminds me what I'm fighting for. It reminds me that fighting is just something I do. Fighting used to be everything. All I And it still is a huge part of my life. I, I still put everything into it, but it was who I am. I, I, it was all I thought about, lived and breathed. Now I'm, I'm, it's something I do. I'm a father, you know, a husband. I, I have a, it's just part of my life. Fighting is part of my life. It's more of a way to, to put food on the table. Yeah, it's what I do for a living. Now, obviously, you guys are in the deepest, arguably the deepest division in the sport. What's that journey been like for you now? Obviously, getting a chance to be at the top of that division with just killers everywhere. It's been a long journey. It's been fun. It's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs, um, a lot of lessons learned. It, it's made me the person I am today. I'm appreciative of it. It's, but it's been challenging. You know, it, it's the, the lightweight division right now is a very tough division from one to ten, from one to fifteen probably. I, you know, um, very competitive. But I'm at the top for a reason. Wow, Brando, tell us about the demeanor of the potential future undisputed lightweight champion just a few weeks out of this fight. To me, he seemed like he was kind of already over the media obligations. He's kind of at the point where it's like, I'm ready to fight. I want to step in the octagon with Habib. I want to get this done. You know, he's kind of at the point where he's had to do all the talking. He feel, I think he feels like he's had to carry this because Habib hasn't done a ton of media ahead of the fight. And he's done a lot of press saying, like, this is what's going to happen, man. Don't worry about it. I'm going to win. You're going to find out. You're going to see. I even asked him the question that, that you had actually posed to me where King Mo said that Dustin Poirier is the perfect kryptonite to Khabib. And I asked him that, and he said, by the pay-per-view, you'll see. Well, a couple things here. Number one? King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. All right with me as well. King Mo was day one-ish. From way back saying the only one who can really beat Habib at 155 is Dustin Poirier. Rashad, when you look at things to break down a fight, and we're going to do this right now. We're going to break down Habib Poirier, who wins, how, and why. There's factors, there's elements. A lot of it is style, experience, all that. But sometimes it's mentality. True or false, for Dustin Poirier, this is the culmination of his life's goal and dream. This fight on Saturday is his mountaintop. For Habib, it's there's importance levels to it, building his star in the Middle East, very large Muslim community, a lot of things going on there. But can that factor into how we look at this fight? What this means for Dustin Poirier, a guy who says, I have 25 minutes to make life fair. Yeah, I think that I think that with Dustin, you know, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and I think he's been, you know, uh, mentally preparing for this for a longer time, and you know, competing against uh, Habib is something that he's he's definitely uh, up for, and I think he does have a style that can present a lot of problems for Habib, but I think the one glaring thing that I I look at when I look at this matchup is, you know, how does Dustin Poirier 
get up off of the fence. You know, I've seen him struggle in many fights before where he gets caught on the fence from takedowns and have a hard time getting to his feet. And and that is where Habib is, is the strongest at. You know, and then you add to the fact that, you know, a guy with the ability to hold you down and take so much energy out of you while on top then has the ability to get up and then strike with you as well, too. So I think that those are the things that, that have me, uh, you know, looking at Habib as a favorite in this fight. But um, when when it comes to just mentally coming there, uh, just being the hungry, hungry guy, I think definitely Dustin Poirier is that guy. But Habib, he competes from a different place. You know, watching this guy compete, uh, e- even in training, you know, it's never personal. It's, it's always just about perfecting and executing technique. And that's all it's about for him, perfecting, executing technique. And, um, you know, he, he's a perfectionist. So watching him train and and get ready for a fight, you see him implementing all those perfected, perfect techniques. Watching him get ready to fight uh, the week of the fight, they're fighting all the way up until fight day. You know, they, they, they train like they fight all the way up until fight day. So it's it's going to be a great fight, no, no doubt about it, though. Just yeah. a quick note, just a quick note, his – Training partner for that grappling that you're talking about has been Kayla Harrison, who is obviously a 155 fighter for pro for the PFL, and she's one of the best judo people in America. So, just a little tidbit. I don't know if what that'll translate to when she, when you're talking about Khabib and his grappling and his ground game, but it's just something to note. Yeah. I'm gonna I mean, smash your boy, guys, and your girl. That's basically what Khabib said. See, and here's here's another thing though. Khabib has a um. He perfected the lost art of ground and pound. Like when I watch him do ground and pound, there's not a lot of guys who do ground and pound like he does or even understand what he's doing. You know, I've I went to ground and pound college at uh, Greg Jackson school. So I understand ground and pound <laughs> at a different level. And we used to do, you know, days where we just like dissect ground and pound and just work on ways to hold someone on the ground and beat them. You know, so watching Habib. I think that he's head and shoulders above everybody when it comes to his position because he has ways of holding guys in position where they're exerting so much energy and he's just popping the heck out of them and pop shotting them, but then landing those devastating shots that when they get back to their feet, they just want to get out of there. Let's talk about what Poirier brings to this from the potential kryptonite to, to, to be the first one to, to slow down and, and, and stop what Habib does well. He's not going to out-wrestle him. We know that. You guys just set that up and nailed it. I, I King Mo can say from day one that Poirier is the guy, and we're going to find out on Saturday. But for me, from day one, it's been Tony Ferguson is the guy, and that's why that fight is so good, and that's why through four cancellations, we still need to see that. Ferguson is the volume, the awkward strikes, the ability to love and embrace pain and be sadistic, and maybe he's the guy to be the ultimate Habib kryptonite. But Rashad, I got lulled into believing that Connor could have been that guy at UFC 229 because of that one skill, that ability to put his hands on your chin and find you and find you quickly and accurately. And maybe I got a little bit too in love with what Michael Johnson did one or twice, once or twice to Habib in that first round where no one else has really been able to have the striking success. But Poirier isn't Connor in that one category. So what is Poirier as a striker in which you can invest and believe that he could actually win this or have a shot at winning this? Well, I think on his feet, you know, he stands his best chance to win uh, just because of the fact that he has a really, he does a really good job of answering back, you know, and I think that's one thing that led him to have the victory over Max Holloway was the fact that 
he was answering back Max so well, and it didn't allow Max to uh, uh, to build up any lead on strikes at all. You know, the minute that Max was in, in, in the striking, you know, you had Dustin almost interrupting him sometimes with his own strikes of his own and then finishing a combination uh, with, with his strikes. So when, when you are interrupting somebody and you're finishing last on the strikes, that means you're winning the striking exchanges. And then you start to start to pick them apart with little punches on the inside that start to hurt them a little bit and then a few stuff shots. And then you're looking at a different Habib because now you're looking at a guy who's getting picked apart on his feet, but then having trouble getting Dustin into the parts where he can take advantage of him on the ground. So that's one part that can get Dustin to unravel. I mean, get, get uh, Habib to unravel. But the main thing for Dustin in this fight is to keep his back to the center of the octagon. Mm-hmm. He cannot have his back on the cage at all. It has to be to the center of the octagon and using footwork on the outside to make Habib, you know, come out of his, his stance a little bit to chase him a bit. You know, if he's getting Habib to chase him, then he's able to, then he's able to plant and then land a shot and then move. And then it keeps in the stay on his bike. You know, I think if he's starting to plant and stay in the way and try to strike Habib, Habib is going to go underneath him and take him down. But when I made that comparison about Connor, like it was an all or nothing sort of prediction. You're saying, okay, Connor is a finisher. If he can line up Habib with a shot and, and, and get him, get him wobbly, he can jump in there and finish him. Can Poirier realistically, when he's game planning, game plan to try to finish Habib? Or is it more about, uh, the, the long game and and wearing him down with strikes and dissuading him to, to take him down. I think if he's going to beat Habib, it's going to be with with the shot that he catches him with, maybe like a knee coming in or maybe with an uppercut or something that Habib doesn't see. I don't foresee him being able to um, out-survive Habib when it comes to the war of attrition because at the end of the day, when you're a wrestler, you just have a different kind of built of grit built in you, you know, and, and he has a stomach to go for a grinding, grueling kind of fight. That's the kind of fight that Habib would go for. So I think when it comes to Dustin winning this fight, I think he has to be able to catch him with something and be able to uh, capitalize on the fury after that. All right, Brandon, he said something interesting there. He used the word knee. Dustin Poirier trains at ATT. Sometimes we follow hot trends in MMA. The three-piece in the soda just sent the great wrestler Ben Askren to the deep, dark depths in five seconds. Dustin and Masvidal are in the same gym. If you're Poirier and his team, are you game planning different ways to do what people haven't been able to do? Catch Habib at the, at the crossfire. Catch him coming in and make him pay for trying to take you down. See, I feel like there's just a different level to what Habib does in his takedown attempts versus Ben. Ben just went straight in and didn't really think about it. Habib will be more precise and technical with it. He's not just going to go straight for a leg. He's going to set you up with a punch up top and then grab your leg. I feel like that's just going to be the difference then instead of seeing Dustin just fly across the octagon throwing a knee out of nowhere. I just don't see that happening in this fight. He might throw a knee occasionally trying to catch him. I just don't see it being that obvious and open of a strike to land. You know what you do with a wrestler? You, 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 have to, you have to fight a wrestler like, like you're playing tag, you know, and that's how you have to be like, like, uh, like, you know, you, you have a stick and you're trying to poke him with the stick. You're trying to poke him and poke him and poke him and poke him, but he can't touch you. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's how you got to fight a wrestler. You can't commit too much to the pokes because the pokes over time are going to add up. So you can't get greedy and try to look for that big shot. 
So you just poke them to death and keep poking them, keep poking them. And then eventually you get them backing up. And then once you get them backing up, then he is yours. But if you're not, if you're, if you're going in there and you're trying to meet him with aggression and trying to hit him with shots, they're going to slip underneath you. They're going to, uh, gum you up. They're going to out wrestle you. They're going to make you tired. So you're, you're, you're painting a portrait in which Poirier is going to have to be really smart and strategic and own that distance, which is hard to do against Habib because of how intelligent, like Brandon said, he is at setting up his takedowns and getting you into that close range and taking advantage from the idea, Rashad, of what have we not seen work against Habib that somebody can implement? How much is the kicking game for Dustin? Not the flying knee, but the the kicking game. Could that be something that holds that distance? It can be, but the thing about it is when you lift your feet off the ground with somebody who's always coming forward on you, then it makes it easier for them to take you down. So I would think that you know kicking would be something that you would do after the forward progression of Habib is stopped. So what you would need to do first and foremost is kind of show him something up the middle so that way he doesn't just kind of rush in for you. So straight kicks or something up the middle or showing an uppercut or showing anything straight up the middle where it's going to give the wrestler pause, it'll stop that forward progression. I think those are the kind of things that he's going to have to do to be able to keep that range. Straight front kicks, the jab, that's how you keep your range on a wrestler. Moving from side to side, fakes and feints, you know. All of those things are how you keep the distance of the wrestler. You can't just wait for the takedown. If you're waiting for the takedown, you're already being taken down. Who does this fight favor if it turns not technical but chaotic? I would say it's kind of got to be Dustin, right? Because Dustin kind of survives in that element. Like if you look at the Holloway fight, he was lighting up Max, but Max came back with some shots that he probably wasn't expecting to get caught with. So it was it probably threw off his equilibrium a little bit, but he stayed in the pocket, didn't get flustered. And kept returning fire. I, to me, I think Dustin would have the advantage if it becomes a a firework type show. Yeah, if if it does, because that would mean that Habib is not in control, right? So right. if if it comes into that kind of thing, then it would mean that Dustin is is mounting up some defense and not allowing Habib to control him in any kind of capacity. Because when Habib dominates, he controls his opponents. And here's the problem: for as much as we're trying to path uh, create a path to victory here for Poirier. They can roll out the balls on Saturday inside that cage in Abu Dhabi, and Poirier could be looking up at the lights for rounds one and two, and then your gas tank is drained. Rashad, you've been in there with some wrestlers. You are a wrestler. You've done many rounds of training. What does that feel like when the opponent is dictating the terms to you, and that opponent has a skill that sucks the life out of you? Like you said, it just feels like they just, you know, suck the uh the battery out of your, your your car and you just have no energy to get back up and then when you get back up to your feet you try to uh do what your game plan is but then your legs you know may not work or you may find that your back is a little bit tired or you find that your arms are a little bit heavy and then it becomes a different kind of fight and then you'd be like okay now that i can't throw combinations or you don't feel comfortable throwing combinations then you fight a different kind of game where it's much more uh enclosed quarter fight game where you're doing like more pop shots and stuff like that but uh, i've been in there i've been in there where I, i've wrestled too much and i've been tired and now i got a guy who is a little bit more fresher than me on his feet so now i have to find a way to you know survive that way so it, it can work both ways to tell you the truth so does i mean we saw when when connor was able to bring the fight to the feet in that fight nothing on his punches nothing so that shows you what the effects of 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 wrestling did to his tank 
do we not give Habib's gas tank enough credit? Because he's the guy initiating these situations. He's the guy doing all the work, and he's the guy who's never gassed in there unless you're going to make the argument against Ayakinta. That's why that fight was close late. Yeah, we, we don't give enough credit because I know firsthand how hard it is to uh, stay on somebody like that because, you know, not only is he it's, – it's hard because he's fighting through a lot of static holds. And then you have static holds, you know, in conjunction with, you know, sprinting holds where he's punching as fast as he can and then he goes back to a static holds. All of that, that drains the muscles, especially when you're doing those static holds. If you grab a towel and you do a static hold for 30 seconds and then you try to grab it again, your arm's going to be feel just completely done. And then if you try to punch after that, they're going to feel like, like, like noodles, limp noodles. So the conditioning that he has for his body to flush out the lactic acid, then to refill back up, to be able to have some starch on his punches and some strength is phenomenal. You know, that takes years and years of conditioning. Habib's 30, Brandon, and you've been day one on this guy early saying not just that he's great, that he's got a style that, that, that can't be solved, but that we could be watching one of the UFC's all-time greats. I remember the first time you said that to me two years ago. I was like, whoa, bro, slow your roll. Who'd he beat? RDA? Who else? But you're seeing something that we're seeing played out. It's so easy to lose an MMA, even when you're great. From Cyborg to Weili Zhang, they lost their pro debuts and then went on some kind of runs. From what Habib is doing right now, 27-0, and 0, and now he's starting to put those names on the resume. If he gets through a Poirier, if he gets through a Tony Ferguson, if he gets through a Connor a second time, I hate turning everything into the GOAT talk, and everything we talk about ends with, well, will he be the GOAT? Is this guy in the short room of the GOATs? Is he on his way there? Who is Habib Nurmagomedov? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, when we talk about shocking upset losses, I don't think I will be more surprised than the day that Khabib loses. Just because of how crazy, like you guys have been talking about for the last 10 minutes, his gas tank, his endurance, his unreal wrestling where you hear guys like Daniel Cormier talk about him out-wrestling guys like he's a heavyweight. He puts pressure on you like a heavyweight at 155 pounds. Like that's just unheard of. So to me – if he ever does lose, it would be the biggest surprise to me in MMA just because you don't see a style like this go down. He has the style to outman you in the octagon every time he steps in the cage. I think that if he ends his career undefeated with wins over uh, Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, whoever else is up next at 155, I don't think there's an argument to say he's not in that conversation at least. He's already beaten RDA. He's already beaten Edson Barbosa. He's he's starting to fill in that foundation. Ayakinta, Rashad, you've seen a lot of great ones. You are a great one. I mean, how how do you generically sort of say what this guy's building? Yeah, I think he's definitely, um, you know, conversation of goat. You know, when you take a guy and, and he's completely, you know, undefeated and, and the way he's been winning and. uh you know, I, I watch him as as a competitor, and, and I just see, you know, the kind of mindset that he has. That's what impresses me the most about Habib is just hit his mindset when it comes to competing. Um, competing is a mental game. You know, we like to believe that it's physical because, you know, that, that's what we we're, that's what we see. We see the physical aspect of it, but you know, the mental is, is so is so important. And a guy like Habib handles that. Like, uh, you know, like, like no one I've ever seen, you know, he, 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 um, 
he comes and he competes from a place where there is not that fear and anxiety that you see with a lot of guys who compete. That's a great point. And let's not forget, he lost two years of his prime to that knee injury, was able to mentally come back. He went through that period of feeling like he was getting squeezed out of the title picture and not getting his just due. He talked about wanting to maybe just go up to welterweight just to get a title shot. Got through that mentally. Now got through the the whole McGregor fiasco, served his his penalty there for the 229 brawl, and he's back on top. He gets a win here. Man, he controls his future, and he's that type of dude, stubborn enough. When he's done, he's going to be done, and he's going to walk away for good. And we're going to have to have those GOAT conversations and be like, it's not going to be lured back for money. This seems to be a man of principle. I'm glad he didn't do the Floyd boxing match in the end, though. I think that was a little bit off-brand for what he's all about. But I tried to talk myself into Poirier winning, and I'm going to write. I'm writing a piece this week that sort of explains how he could do it. And it's certainly... It's in it's in play. It's always in play because for as great as Habib is, and we just nailed it, he's still open, he's still one-dimensional, potentially, and open to be hit by strikes. And this is MMA, and we're talking about elites, and Poirier has knocked out the very elite. That run you just talked about when he claimed himself the lightweight goat is damn impressive. So as much as I can – in the end, Habib's going to win, guys. That's the whole point of the conversation. In the end, Habib's <laughs> going to do what Habib does, and he's going to do it in a unique location in Abu Dhabi, and you have to imagine the fans, the Muslim crowd's going to be pro-Habib, and it's great to see him get this type of showcase. It's not in it's not in Dagestan, it's not in his backyard, but it's in another type part of the world where the market is growing and expanding, and this guy could be a face for that. This is a hella intriguing fight in many ways on Saturday. I just can't get over Habib's going to go five. And he's going to do what he does, and it's going to be dominant. Yeah, I agree, man. I think that uh, Habib's going to definitely dominate this fight. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, Dustin's going to have his moments uh, on his feet, you know, initially. But I think once once Habib closes the distance on a consistent way and, and um, Dustin has to fight out of, out of some takedowns and get back up to his feet, I think it's going to be a, a different story, you know. Uh, when it comes down to someone who just perfected their skill and, and their fighting style, you know, Habib is that guy. You know, he, he knows how to make every single fighter fight his fight. And no matter how much they have worked on how to get up and how to, you know, keep Habib from holding him down once he get him down, because here's the reality. He's going to get you down. There's just no doubt about it. You're going to get he's going to get taken down. But it's it's, it's how he has he work to get back up and every coach think oh yeah i got a, I got a perfect way you'll get back up because this guy did this and you know he traps a leg and they think they have a way to get back up but when habib gets on you it's just something different it really is uh brandone you're not going hipster on me you're going habib right i am going habib i will just say dustin poirier has been an underdog in just about every big fight he's been in that's the truth very much like Tyron Woodley was in the lead-ups to his t- to winning the title and then defending his title. They made him the underdog for some reason in his title defenses. thought that was weird. But there's some value there. If, you were, if you're looking at the odds, he's plus 350, I think. You're getting 3.5 to 1 on somebody who is an interim champion, has been through the fires, is a veteran in the octagon. And he's if fixed. I want to throw something out there. That's a that's an interesting bet. And and to put a little bit more on that side of the table, he has fixed the sort of issues he had earlier on, specifically that Connor fight where you can get in his head. He's fixed that sort of mental toughness the hard way, the long road to get here. 
this is the biggest fight of his life. Brandon, will he have a moment, even if he loses this, even if this eventually goes to script, will he have a moment where he hurts Habib? Will there be a window of opportunity there? Or are you looking at one-sided business? See, I when you guys were talking about the, the Ayakinta fight, I keep going back to what you said before where he just decided to stand with him. And it seemed like Khabib had no gas tank left. There was obviously a lot going on that week. But I just feel like there's going to be a round where Khabib either decides to take off and just just stay on his feet to like gather himself again to go back into the takedowns. And that can give Dustin an opportunity. And if you give Dustin an opportunity like that and he has anything left in his tank, I feel like he just empties it and just goes for broke. And that's his moment, and that's his chance to win. I don't see him getting getting a finish out of that or anything, but you're going to see Dustin kind of just explode when he has a chance like that, and it'll make it an interesting fight for a minute at least. Our co-main also interesting in the lightweight division, Edson Barbosa and Paul Felder. Big opportunities here, as always, in this loaded division to make a name for yourself, to make a leap ahead. Brandon, you caught up with Barbosa. Let's talk to this man right now coming at you. Enjoy. How's your training camp been going now that you're back in? The wind power now has a big one against it. How's the camp been like getting ready for this big fight? Oh, camp doing well. I have a couple more days to finish the camp. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm feel better than ever. Strong, faster. And most important, happy and excited. Can't wait. Can't wait to be September 7th. How are you expecting from the atmosphere there? Have you ever been to that side of the world? Sorry? Have you ever been to that side of the world in no. Abu Dhabi? It's going to be my first time in Abu Dhabi. I have a lot of friends over there, a lot of guys from my hometown. He's teach jiu-jitsu over there. It's a good opportunity to see all my friends over there. I see a lot of Brazilian there. Very excited. Very excited to, to fight in that place. What's it like to have your your training camp teammate, Dustin Poirier, there with you for the fight? This is awesome. It's good vibe, you know. Uh, let's go uh, get energy together to go there, fight together. Very happy, very excited. And I think this belt is going to stay here in South Florida ATT. What's the, uh, what's the, what's the, the difference going to be this time now in a rematch against Paul Felder versus what happened in the first fight? I think the result's going to be the same. I think I want to win this fight. But he's a different fighter, I know. I'm a different fight too. After the fight, I was, I have opportunity to fight against the best guys in the world. I fought Pettis, I fought Khabib, I fought Ferguson. I'm a lot of, I have a lot of more experience right now, and I feel I'm a better fight right now. And he's a better fighter too. That's making me very excited. And that's gonna be a big war. How do you feel about how the you're in arguably the biggest, the deepest division in the UFC. Are you, you're obviously, the goal is to get back into the title picture, but how, how tough is this climb going to be now once again? Yeah, uh, I think that's the harder division in UFC, but, oh, I was there. I know I was there. I was having only six guys in front of me, and I fought against everybody. All those guys, I fought in the top ten. I fought against seven guys, something like that. I was there. I got closer, man. Close to the title shot. I know if I win one, two fights straight, I want to be there to the title shot. And the dream's still here, man. I still had it to go. I'm still, you know, dream bigger dream to get this belt. And I know I have everything to get this belt. 
How much has life in camp changed since you had your child? It's changed a lot, you know. I was, it's good. It gives me more focus because I know I have a, one more mouth, you know, to eat in my table in my house. But I'm a different person right now, for sure. I'm a better guy because I have our kids. And that's my, my the biggest motivation in my life, you know. Work hard right now to give best for my family, for my, my kids. And prediction for the fight? Win. That's it. I know. I'll go there, give my best. I want to win this fight again. And, yeah, I want to win this fight. All right, B-dubs. When you and I went down to ATT, what was that, about five, six months ago? Mm-hmm. We saw Barbosa hitting the pads there. It looked like murder. It looked like violence. It's not new. There's not a new theory that this guy's a scary dude. But getting to chat with him, what's this guy like? I mean, I'll just be honest. Edson is not the most uh, great interview. <laughs> He's very dry. He's very just tells you how it is. So to me, he's got a good vibe. He seems to be his normal, even keel self going into this fight. It'll be interesting, though, because rematches are always interesting. And I, I don't know what what's going to look different in this fight versus the first one, to be honest. Well, there's it's a must win. And you're talking about a rematch. Yes, they fought once. 2015, Barbosa claimed a unanimous decision over Paul Felder. On the Dillashaw Barrow 2 undercard. How about that? Shout out to the Baron. Uh, Rashad, who needs this more? We got Barbosa coming in having lost three of his last four. We know the available business in this division. Felder's had a little bit of a heartbreaking run of late. I mean, he's, he's won four of his last five, but I haven't seen in those four of last five sort of a guy who seems ready for the leap into title contention. What, what, how do you sort of see this fight coming in? Well, I think that this is a big fight for for Paul because, you know, this is um, a big step for him to, you know, to show that he is is worthy of stepping up to the upper echelon of competition. You know, Edson has been, you know, a top 10 uh, perennial contender for a long time. And, uh, you know, he garners a lot of respect when it comes to competing in the weight class. So uh, an impressive win by Paul Felder can can definitely put him in a right trajectory. You know, but for Edson, you know, he's um, – <clears throat> battle tested and he doesn't want to fall into that spot where he's you know the gatekeeper or he's on the, he he's on the fringe of of just trying to uh you know compete with those guys who, who's trying to move up to the ranking so um you know edson is now at att and and uh you know uh working different aspects of the game with, with mark henry for a long time so um you know th- there there's aspects of edson's game too where he needs to just you know, kind of reset and get things going too. you know, switching camps and everything like that, too. So it's a bolt, a big fight for both of these guys. Um, and, and it's a big fight for both of these guys for different reasons. Edson, uh, just just to, you know, to stay relevant, you know, needs this win. And Paul Felder, in order to move forward, he needs to put an exclamation point on the win like this. Even with the recent losses, Edson only loses to the very best and very elite. I still give him so much credit. He bounced back from that dismantling against Habib. That's the kind of knockout loss where you, you never fight again or you're never the same. And he was able to sort of come back and, and prove he's still the guy. He's the favorite. He's the betting favorite despite their recent win streaks. This is a step up in competition for Felder. This is going to be interesting. I know he just beat James Vick, but this is going to be that tough-ass test to prove 
whether he is ready for title contention. I don't know, man. Well, I think that Paul, what, what Paul has and, and what Paul can really show in this fight, uh, when, when it comes to X and O's with, with the Muay Thai, um, I think Edson Barbosa has the kicks and stuff like that, and he has a lot of good Muay Thai uh, advantages in that respect when it comes to leg power and kicks. But when it comes to just like scrappiness and when it comes to just that dog, I think Paul Felder has that, and I think Paul can pull that out and use that as a tool on uh, you know on Saturday, and and, and uh, it can help him out and get a win in this fight. And Barbosa is coming off of that first round knockout loss to Justin Gaethje, so you have to wonder eventually, with all these tough fights and only losing to the very elite, when will that slow him down at 33? He didn't look slow down hitting those pads, Brandon. He looks like he's ready for violence. Any Edson Barbosa fight typically gets highlight real violence. Who do you got here, Barbosa Felder? I'm taking Barbosa, but I have almost zero confidence in it just because, I mean, it's a toss-up, man. Like, I, I just feel like those kicks are going to be a factor, obviously, but Paul Felder's a tough son of a gun, man. Like, he does not go out quietly. He might go out like Dan Hooker did against Barbosa, where it's, his body just gives out, where he just can't stand anymore. Yeah, this is going to be violent. This is going to be fun. Uh, give me a fight I should care about on the way out here. It's not a loaded card. They don't load up the pay-per-views internationally. There's going to be some Habib teammates back from suspension making appearances here. Brandon, what are you looking at here? Anything? Anything moving you? Um... I mean Curtis Blades. Yeah, yeah. He's on. He's on the main card. Rashad, I, do you know much about these these uh, Habib teammates as fighters? I mean, should 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 Meyerbeck Tasumov should we be fired up for him in the future at lightweight? Uh, I don't I don't know too much about him. I know um you know uh, Islam is, is is really really tough. Makashov is really tough. Oh, you know who's on this card? Um, Takashi Sato. The guy who trains over at, at Hard Knocks, 365. Oh, yeah. He's fighting uh, Balahu Muhammad on the early prelims. That's going to be a fun fight. Muhammad always goes out and just bangs. Yeah, somebody can make a name for themselves on this card, whether it's Zubara, whether it's Meyerbeck, Islam. There's a lot of, a lot of fun names who could have next in the future. They're going to have their chance here. Uh, enjoy it, Brandon. Wood. We got 2 p.m. Eastern starting time on Saturday. 2 p.m. Eastern start time, prelims at 10 a.m. All right, I want to get out of the show before we talk about also a pretty good card for Bellator 226 on Saturday from the SAP Center in San Jose, exclusively on the zone. Ryan Bader defending his heavyweight championship against Czech Congo. Congo fresh off that win over Minikov. Uh, I think it's going to be a long night for Congo. In fact, that same left hook in which Bader has used to finish the likes of King Mo, the likes of Fedor. I mean, Czech Congo is a durable dude, but Ryan Bader's rolling right now. No, nah, he really is. And, and the thing with Ryan Bader, you know, I, just his improvement is just crazy. And he improved in the areas where, you know, you don't really see people generally improving in, which is the power area. You know, you're either a power puncher or you're not. And uh, he's shown his last few punches that moving up the heavyweight has unleashed a powerful side of Bader. That coupled with the fact that he's got this speed that he's carried over from light heavyweight as well. And then the wrestling ability, too. You know, he, he's the perfect recipe at heavyweight in Bellator because he, he mixes he, – he's a perfect blend of power, speed, and wrestling control. Could you make a case for him to be able to beat today a DC, a Stipe, a Francis Ngannou? Has he evolved to that level or is he still in – please forgive this phrase, but you know what this means. Is he Bellator good or is he really, really good? 
That's a hard one. That's a hard one because my my biggest thing with uh with um uh Bader Bader was was you know sometimes I used to not think he has the dog in him, you know, and, and I think that was one aspect that that was missing from him in the UFC. But I think since he's been uh in in Bellator, he's been growing confidence, and you see that dog has grown in him. So. Do I think he can compete with those guys? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think now he believes he can compete with those guys. So I think that it, it would be a different Bader altogether. I think that the Bader that we're seeing now is is a confident Bader. And I think the confidence is the biggest difference. Well, if he can finish Congo, I think that does make a statement. Check is 44. And you know what, guys? You want to go back to 2014? This guy's 10 and 1 since 2014. I know it's all been under the Bellator banner. I know there's a lot of Tony Johnsons and Ole Thompsons and Javi Ayala's on this, on this run and Tim Johnson and Johnson and Johnson, but he's fresh <laughs> off of beating Vitaly Minikoff and that's not an easy, uh, easy way to go. This is, should be, this should be interesting. If Bader can do it, it makes a statement. But Brandon, true or false, the true calling card here is the opening, the start, the debut of this featherweight 16 man tournament. Which matchup you fired up for? I mean, we we got to talk about Adam Borix against Pat Curran. That's going to be one of the featured bouts on this card. Curran's coming off of a loss against AJ McKee in May, and obviously Borix got the amazing knockout win over uh, Aaron Pico in his last fight. Yeah, also uh, Claxton, Taiwan Claxton, the old uh, old black zillion. He goes by Air Claxton. He had one jump knee, and after that they called him Air Claxton. Well, he called himself <laughs> Air Claxton. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's been in Denver, and um, – uh, you know, he's been, he's been training and, and getting a lot better and just kind of, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, how much he's grown and, you know, he wants to be a star. So somebody who wants to be a star as bad as he is, is going to go out there and put on a great performance. Yeah. I he's taking on Emmanuel Sanchez in their fight. I like this Daniel Strauss, Derek Campos fight. There's, there's certainly some names in the 16 man tournament. It's going to be always interesting to see though, because some of these names are guys we've seen. They've been around the Pat Curran's, the, the Daniel Strauss's. Who's going to be that guy? Is it Adam Boric who can sort of grab the great, you know, grab the attention? Like, like I always say, like Andre Ward did in the Super Six boxing tournament. Every tournament's got an opportunity for one of these young guys, even in that heavyweight Grand Prix. I know it was all old guys in the end, but yet it was Bader, Ryan Bader, the guy we didn't necessarily think was going to grab that baton and say, guys, take notice of me now. Tournaments give you a chance to be a star. We'll check out what Bellator has on Saturday. I didn't want to exit this show, Rashad, without getting your opinion of this. In the world of boxing, undisputed cruiserweight champion Alexander Usyk will finally make his heavyweight debut. It'll be on the zone October 12th against kickboxing star and, according to Wikipedia, your good friend, Tyrone Spong. What the hell's going on here? Is Spongy ready for this, bro? I know he's 13 oh. and 14 and 0 as a heavyweight, but this is, there's levels to this. Listen, he is more than ready. This Tyrone Spong guy, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not just saying this because he's one of my best friends, but listen, this guy is absolutely dynamic. This weekend, he just fought and, uh, in Mexico and he knocked the guy out in the second round. Looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, Wait, he put on what? some size. Yeah. He put on some size, so I think that's been making the biggest difference in his punching power. And uh, his trainer, uh, Pedro Pedro Diaz, is Ooh, I is, love Pedro Diaz. No, yes, yeah, Pedro Diaz is, is no joke. You know, he he pushes him to this limit, and um, you know, he's somebody. See, because here's the thing about it: like, you can be a coach, but if you don't know how to make can bring the grit out of your athlete, then you're not going to be able to, you know, I guess make him be what he can be. And the relationship between Pedro Diaz and Tyrone Spong 
is is so good where Pedro has a way that he's like he can tell Tyrone to jump through a window and Tyrone to do it. Yeah. So that kind of trust that he has in Pedro, it, it has elevated his fighting. And I'm telling you guys right now, you guys are going to be surprised Whoa. when you see how good Tyrone Spunk well, is in boxing. Pedro Diaz, great Cuban trainer. He he kind of rebuilt Miguel Cotto at his run at junior middleweight after the loss to Margarito and made him more of a defensive specialist. He was the genius behind Guillermo Rigondeau in his initial rise at junior featherweight there. But this is asking a lot considering I know Spunk 14-0 and with uh, – I'm sorry, 13-0. and Oh wait, let me get that right. 14 and 0, 13 by KO in boxing has not faced anyone though remotely on the level of Anusik, but he is a, a, a decorated kickboxing star. So how much can that translate? That's the real question here. See, but here's the thing, like he, it, it, it can translate a lot and especially the simple fact that Tyrone has been, he's been out of the kickboxing scene for a while. So he's all boxer. You know what I'm saying? He's been doing a lot of rounds with a lot of good boxers and a lot of good uh, heavyweight boxers at the heavyweight factory. You know, he's, he's been training with a lot of uh, recognized, you know, big, big fighters. So um, I think he's definitely ready. You know, Tyrone has been working at this for a while and he's been put on the back burner trying to get an opportunity to fight somebody like this. So this opportunity would not go to waste for him. Brandon, you know, I love me some Usyk, man. That guy is a magician in there. He's he's going to be the heavyweight Lomachenko. I mean, he does he just does things differently, man. Just different angles, different footwork. It's going to be a long night for Tyrone Spong, all right? <laughs> I'm more worried about the fact that he was fighting this weekend, and now he's going to be fighting in six weeks again against somebody like Alexander Usyk. Well, Usyk coming off of almost a year-long layoff. You'd have to go back to the time. I bet that Tyrone knocks him out. Whoa. What, what just, Please make this bet right what now. What just Please happened right there? What, I didn't hear that all the way. What just happened right there? I said I bet Tyrone Spung <laughs> knocks him out. Wow. I want you to put it on me. I want you to try your best to put it on me because that's the only way I want it. If you don't give me everything you got, I'm going to be pissed off. Put it on that's me, Rashad. She said. Wow. Wow. <laughs> make a t-shirt bet right now, BC. Make a t-shirt bet. Yeah, I think I think it's time oh. for a t-shirt bet. Right, right there. <laughs> no, I like the I love the confidence. It's going to be an interesting fight. We haven't seen Usyk since I was calling fights for DAZN, Brandon. It's been that long ago. All right? All right? All right. Thank you <laughs> yeah, very much. All right. That's the show for this week. Special thanks to Dustin Poirier and Edson Barbosa. Enjoy the fights this weekend. 242 from the desert. Brandon Wise, enjoy surviving that hurricane. Bless up to everyone in the Bahamas and beyond affected by this storm. Rashad Evans, anything you want to sell anything? Any t-shirts, any other predictions, any uh, businesses? What's going on here? Uh, that's it, man. Just follow me on IG and that's about it. All right. That is the show for this week and we are out.